0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. We are uh, diving back into our series in James this morning. Everyone got a Bible? We actually have Bibles at the back if you ever don't have one. I think we've got some at the info center, so <coughs> you feel free to grab one from back there if you need to. Uh, But we are making good progress through the book of James that we're working through this year. Uh, But it all grinds to a halt today because we're only going to look at one verse. So I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, I'm slowing the pace right down today. You thought we were almost there. In fact, some of you came hoping this morning this would be it. But um, no, my friends, Uh, just one verse. Because this verse we're going to look at this morning in the book of James is it kind of stands on its own and it deals with... A, a, a topic just kind of in, in, well, it stands on its own, and it's important enough that I wanted to give it a whole week, a whole message just focusing in on the wisdom and the truth in this one verse because there's a lot here. And so it's James chapter 5, verse 12, so if you've got a Bible or you've got the Bible on your device... Uh, open it on up, still really good to have it out in front of you. And we're going to look at, still at a number of other verses in the Bible this morning as we're unpacking what this verse means. So uh, still a good day to have the Bible open. But let's dive in. Here we go, James five, twelve. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Okay. Now, I thought that we would start this morning with a little bit of social media fun. Up for that. So here, up on screen, here are some things that people have posted on social media that are complete lies that they've been caught out on. So this person posts on Facebook, out with the hubby, enjoying a few much-needed cocktails. And then this next person says, I thought you were covering for your boss since his dad died. If you guys didn't want to come over for dinner, that's fine, but you didn't have to make up such a terrible excuse. And then the boss chimes in, my dad is very much alive. <laughs> so that was awkward. All uh, right, what's the next one, Murray? So someone here posts a picture. This is a picture of my grandmother during World War II. She was so beautiful and courageous. And then at the bottom, someone put, that's Hayley Atwood in the Captain America movie, you idiot. <laughs> totally caught out. All right, Next. Slide, so someone's posted here that they're in a relationship with that person, Vittoria, and then someone else posted the link to models.com, where that picture is actually from, and said, nice try. (laughs) And my my personal favorite coming up next, uh, my boyfriend made a promise to me that we would visit Paris and lock a padlock to this very bridge, throwing away the key. A symbolic gesture of our love and commitment. He is my soul, my life, my reason for fighting. (laughs) That's Australia. And you can even see the Sydney Opera House through the, through the fence. That's great. I had to whittle that down from a long list, just so you know, this is what you pay me to do, okay, is trawl the internet through the week and find social media lies. There was a long, long list of them, plenty more where that came from. So that's just a little bit awkward. That's a little bit embarrassing. It's, I suppose it's easy to lie on social media, but then you forget how easy it is to be caught out. As well, I think we forget how many people see this stuff, how many people see the stuff that we post and how easily they can verify or not verify what we're saying, how easily they can go grab an image off Google Images uh, that we thought we were using uh, secretly. So that's kind of just low-key, embarrassing little lies that people tell, but think for a minute of some of the big lies, some of the big lies that you know and that uh, you've heard of maybe and you're familiar with that people have told that have really done damage that have really wrecked their lives and really wrecked their families and wrecked their careers. You think in the last few years, probably one of the big examples, public examples, has been Lance Armstrong, uh, who who swore for years that he was not doing any doping and not taking any performance-enhancing drugs. And then he got found out. Uh, And it all came out. And now, you know, in this age of modern media, now you can go online and look on the YouTube clip after YouTube clip, interview after interview after interview, where he just emphatically denies taking any drugs and almost annoyed that he's being asked the question and just looks at the camera and denies it. And then, of course, it all comes out. The truth comes out and it all turned out to be lies. And he wrecked his life. Over that, he got stripped of all his Tour de France medals and banned from professional cycling for life, all because he got caught up in this this web of lies that he told him, himself, maybe told other people. So we're living in a in a culture, we're living in an age where the values of truthfulness, values of honesty, are really being eroded. The Oxford Dictionary's word of the year in 2016 was post truth post-truth. And here's the definition. Uh, Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So in other words, it doesn't really matter whether what I say is actually true. It doesn't really matter whether what I say is objectively true. It just matters that it feels true. It just matters that it kind of resonates with you and confirms what you already think or what you already believe or, or the ideological view you already have. Just, as long as it kind of feels true, that's good enough. As it, you know, it doesn't actually have to be true. And then you put that word next to other words and phrases that we're now used to hearing about in our culture, phrases like fake news. You know, in the last few years, that's become more and more of a thing, and stuff just gets shared on social media so broadly now, and we don't check it. Rather than going to a couple of sources, rather than trying to verify it and, and figure out what, wh- whether this is accurate or not, we just, if we like it, we just share it. If we like it, we just retweet it, and then it's out there. And, and it doesn't really matter. Is it actually solidly true? doesn't matter. Who cares? It says what I like. It says what I think. confirms my views. It entrenches my position. It's fake news. Uh, other phrases like alternative facts sometimes pinned to journalists or politicians, slant the truth, fudge the truth, shade the truth, bend the truth. Uh, The comedian Stephen Colbert coined the word truthiness. Again, reflecting that reality of it doesn't matter whether it's actually true. It's just got to have the feel of truthiness about it. As long as it feels truthy, uh, good enough. Good enough. That's okay. And you put all these words together and it just paints a picture, doesn't it? of the, the age that we are living in, where things like honesty and truthfulness and integrity of speech, they, they, do, they almost feel antiquated now. These values almost feel like they're from a different era. Kind of, that's, old, that's old school now. Those, you know, it doesn't really matter now whether what I say is true. Uh, it matters whether truth is economical now. It matters whether truth serves a purpose, whether it makes me look good. Uh, Whether it impresses people, whether it serves the interests of the organization that I work for, if it accomplishes those goals, that's what's important. Whether or not underneath it all it's really actually true, that's less and less and less important. Things we used to say to each other, like being a person of your word, or my word is my bond. Those those sayings, they just seem old-fashioned now. That's stuff your grandparents said, right? That just doesn't seem to fit in this day and age. And I think the result of that now is that there's just a huge lack of trust. We just don't trust people. We don't trust corporates because we hear so many corporate lies. We don't trust governments because politicians lie. We don't trust media. We don't trust churches because, sadly, too often, Christian leaders, pastors, whoever, they lie. Sometimes they're the worst. They get caught out in lies and they don't fess up to the truth even when they get caught out. And We hear it time and time and time again. So there is this erosion of trust because there is this erosion of truthfulness. We're living in a post-truth world. And that's why I think this message of James 5.12 needs to be heard That's why I wanted to stop and just park on this one verse for this morning because I think this is such a needed message in our day and age, as James calls us, back to honesty, back to truthfulness, back to being people of our word whose yes means yes and whose no means no. This has somehow been a lost art in our culture. But to me, this is just an example of how the Bible speaks so powerfully down through the generations, doesn't it? I mean, written 2,000 years ago. And yet this verse, I think, is as relevant, if not more relevant, today than it was when James first wrote it. And this is just one verse we're going to look at, but there's a lot in here. There's a lot in this verse. It's loaded with with good truth. It's loaded with good theology. And we're going to unpack this a little bit and understand what James means when he calls us back to being people of truth in a post-truth world. So let's dive in here. Now, we just walk through this. Okay, The first thing we need to understand here, when James says, do not swear... He's not talking about swear words. Okay, I'm sorry. Parents, you came this morning hoping this was going to be the verse. You finally use for your kids, whatever, tell them not to swear. Don't use foul language. This is, this is not the one. All right, there's others. There's other verses. If you want those, we could talk about it later. This is not that. Okay, James is not talking about swear words. He's not talking about foul language. When he says do not swear, he's talking about swearing an oath. Okay, swearing an oath. So the, the closest examples we would have today would be in a court of law. Where you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, swearing that in that sense, or taking an oath of office in a formal sense. We're talking about oaths, it's that kind of swearing. So we've got to start on the right track here, otherwise, we're really gonna misunderstand what he's saying. So James says, Don't do it. Don't swear, don't take any oaths. And that opens up a whole lot of questions for us about how we should behave in those kinds of settings today. But to understand what he's saying. We need to understand a little bit about the biblical background of taking oaths, making oaths, and keeping oaths. So with your finger in James chapter 5, just flick back for a minute to Deuteronomy chapter 6, back in the Old Testament. I want to just jump through a few passages here. They'll be on screen if you don't want to flick around. But Deuteronomy six thirteen, all the way back in the law of Israel, the law of Moses, uh, it says this. God says this. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. And take your oaths in his name. Now, isn't that interesting? So God, back in the Old Testament, commands, encourages Israel to make oaths, to take oaths. So God seems to be okay with oaths, even though James disallows it. Back in the beginning, God's all right with that. He says, take oaths as long as you take your oaths in my name. So... In the Old Testament, people could make oaths for all kinds of reasons. It was just a way of reinforcing a pledge that you made to someone. You could take an oath in business, a business transaction. You could seal that with an oath or a pledge. Um, marriage vows would be an example of taking an oath. You could take an oath just to reinforce the trustworthiness of what you say. You can believe me because I am, I'm swearing this. I am taking an oath. And God says, when you take your oaths, make sure you swear by my name. Don't swear by any of these other gods. Don't swear by anything else. Take your oaths in my name. And that was just a way of invoking God as a silent witness to any oath that you made. It's a way of saying and recognizing God sees, God knows, God's going to hold you to account for that oath that you made. And in the the Old Testament, interestingly, even God himself makes oaths. When God swears to Abraham, when he makes these promises to Abraham, see, God can't swear by any being higher than himself. So who does he swear by when he takes an oath? Himself. He says, by myself, I swear to you that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. It's interesting. God binds himself to his people in the form of an oath, just as he encourages them to take oaths, and he binds himself in the same way, by his own presence, by his own being. He swears by himself. So in the Old Testament, you have people making oaths, you have God making oaths. Clearly, there's no problem with oaths in and of themselves, at least in the Old Testament. It doesn't always mean people made good oaths. Sometimes they made stupid oaths, like Jephthah promised on oath the first thing that walked out of his house he would sacrifice to the Lord, turned out to be his daughter. Terrible oath. And it didn't always mean that people kept their oaths either. If people made an oath in God's name and then they broke their oath, that would be an example Of violating the fourth commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's part of what that's talking about. Is you misuse the name of God when you invoke God in an oath you don't intend to keep, or a foolish oath to begin with. But people would make oaths and people would keep oaths, and sometimes people would break oaths all the way through the Old Testament. So why is it then that you come to James in the New Testament and he's so dead against it? If it was all okay. Well, what's happened is there was a little development between the Old and the New Testament. And and essentially, what happened is the Pharisees got their hands on this. Good old Pharisees, we know them from their interactions with Jesus. The Pharisees got hold of this whole oath keeping system and they distorted it, they twisted it, they perverted it, they corrupted it. They came up with an entire system of all these different categories of oaths, different things that you could swear by that were more binding or less binding. You see what they're trying to do? So they would say, if you swear by the temple, that means nothing. But if you swear by the gold on the temple, you are bound by that oath. Jesus calls them out for this in Matthew 23. They say, if you, if you swear by the altar, that means nothing. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, you are bound by your oath. And so they came up with a system, and really all it is is just a thinly disguised means of letting you break your oath so you could get out of it. So if you're taking your wedding vows and your husband or your wife pledges their wedding vows and swears by the temple, you're in trouble because they're making a non-binding oath. They may not even intend to keep those vows because you can choose the thing that you make your oath by so that you can weasel out of it later. And what was supposed to be a system that promoted honesty and integrity really just became a tool of dishonesty. Allowing people to be deceitful and duplicitous towards one another in the hands of the Pharisees. And that's why when you get to the Sermon on the Mount, you get to the Gospels, and Jesus deals with this issue of oath-taking directly. He has a little part in the Sermon on the Mount where he addresses this. And this is very, very similar, Matthew chapter 5, very similar to what James says in James 5. It's the, it's the most similar portion between James and Jesus that you find. Uh, In fact, James is really just condensing the words of Jesus here. So let me read you what Jesus says about this in Matthew 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's fascinating, I think, what Jesus is doing here, because you might expect when he comes to address the system of oath-keeping that he would just simply take it back to its beginning. And say, all right, the whole system's gotten carried away. You're swearing by all these different things, all these different people. Let's just go back to the original design and take your oaths in God's name. He could have done that, right? Quite justly, gone taken them back to Deuteronomy 6. But he doesn't do that. He goes further. He says, just don't take oaths. He does away with the whole system. He doesn't say, just take your oaths in God's name. He says, you don't need to take oaths anymore. You don't need to to take these kind of sworn oaths and pledges anymore. Why not? Because you should be people of honesty. Because if you are honest and trustworthy in your dealings with one another and in your relationships with the world, you shouldn't need to take oaths. You should be such honest people that there is no need for these kinds of formalities. So what Jesus is doing is taking the Old Testament practice of oath-keeping, oath-taking, And he's replacing it with the New Testament principle of honesty. Okay, let me say that again. Jesus is taking the Old Testament practice of oath-taking, and he's replacing it with the New Testament principle of honesty. A principle which always sat under the practice of oath-keeping anyway. It was always designed to promote honesty. But now Jesus says, you don't need the system anymore. You don't need the formalities. You don't need the externalities. You just be honest. You just be honest, people. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no. It's all you need. And that's exactly what James says. When James comes to write about this, he just echoes his brother. He basically says what he said. <clears throat> Let your yes be yes. And your no be no. You don't need oaths anymore. Now that raises some interesting questions for us. If you get summoned as a witness to court and you're asked to place your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, and you're a Christian, and you take James five twelve seriously. Can you do that? <laughs> I would say yes. Some Christians would say no. I would say yes because I think the important thing here is that James is not anti oaths; he's pro honesty. That's the important thing. He's not saying oaths are bad. He's saying. Honesty is good. And he's dealing in a context where oaths had become a corrupted system, somewhat different to today, although arguably not that different. But he's bringing this back to a principle of honesty. The most important thing here is that we're honest. I think what we should take from this in those formal settings where we may be required to take oaths is that if you are a witness in court, go ahead and take an oath, but that oath is not what should make you honest, right? That, it's not by putting yourself under oath. You tell the truth. You tell the truth because you're a follower of Jesus. right? You tell the truth because you love the truth and you're a person of the truth. It's not by taking an official oath that would make us honest people. We're already honest people. So it's okay to take that oath. It's okay if you're sworn into some public office to take an oath. It's okay to sign an affidavit, which is another form of oath-taking. It's okay to, to swear an oath in court. Those are all okay, but those are not the things that make us tell the truth. We tell the truth because we're compelled by the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to be people of truth, people of our word, right? It comes from our heart as followers of Jesus, not from an external thing that's imposed on us. I think that's the heart of what James is saying. So really, the takeaway for us in this, in this verse is this simple and beautiful sentence. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Some of your translations say, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. That's like a mantra for life. There's a lot of wisdom there. It's worth memorizing that sentence. Let me just flesh this out for you in a couple of different areas of life. First, truth-telling, just simple everyday truth-telling. Here are some everyday little lies that we tend to tell. tell. Tell me if any of these sound familiar to you. I can't come in today, I'm sick when you're not. Right? I didn't get your text when you did get the text. You're just too lazy to reply. I didn't have time to do that when you did have time. You're just too lazy. It's not you, it's me. That's the classic relationship ender. And then this one used by women all over the world I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine, Every, which never means I'm fine. And us guys are supposed to know that. Right? So we just tell. And the thing is, I think, we, you know, we have a laugh and, and that's fine. And we, we're okay with these little things because we excuse them and we say they're not the big things, you know. I'm not Lance Armstrong. I'm not lying about this big stuff. I don't have a web of lies. This is just everyday stuff. But the reality is, every time you tell one little white lie, it is ten times easier to tell the next one, isn't it? And every time you tell one little white lie, it's 10 times easier to tell a slightly bigger one next time. And even if you don't, even if it's the only one you ever tell, we should be people of the truth who seek to be honest and truthful in every area and at all levels of our life, right? Not just in what we say, but think about what you text. Think about what you email to other people. Think about what you post on social media. How honest are you? And the stuff that you put up online? What about official forms that we fill in? Documents that we might sign, such as things that go to the IRD? How honest are we? In those areas of life, it's easy to fudge things. It's easy to shade things. What about in your business dealings, in your professional life, in your workplace? How honest are you? Easy to slightly misrepresent the truth to your customers, isn't it? Just fudge it a little bit. Just shade it a little bit. Easy to slightly embellish the truth in these situations. Easy to slightly inflate the figures. Easy to slightly, you know, take a bit of credit for this or that. If you're a student, easy to slightly plagiarize, isn't it? You know, I'm only borrowing a sentence or two. Or three. <laughs> on and on it goes. But we excuse it because, well, it's just a little thing. Just little things. But friends, if we are going to be people of the truth, that's got to go all the way down. All the way down to the very small things. And we've got to nip it in the bud and say, I'm going to not allow a hint of dishonesty in my life. I'm not going to allow a hint of, of un, to be untrustworthy, to be less than 100% truthful. Because we serve a God of truth. And we have a Savior who is full of grace and truth and we have living within us the spirit of truth, how can we not be truthful people? And some of you maybe have already gone on from those little lies to the big lies. And you know that there's some big lies that you are keeping. There's some big lies, there's some big truths that you are holding back from people that need to know. Maybe you have gotten yourself caught up. Entangled up in some lies, and you know that there's something, something that you've done in the past that you have not told someone who needs to know. Maybe there's a lie that you're still telling, something you're still covering up, something you're still trying to, and maybe you've got excuses and reasons and you've rationalized it. And I need to do this and that to protect this person and whatever, but you are hiding something. There's some truth there that needs to come out, and you're just holding on to a lie. I tell you, the longer you hold on to that lie, the longer you suppress that truth, the more it's going to eat you up. And the harder it's going to be when it finally comes out. And it will come out. Eventually, it's going to catch up with you. Eventually, it's going to find you out. The best thing you can do. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yep. And he was talking about himself, yes. But it equally applies to the truths and the lies that we tell each other. The truth is what will set you free. And yes, when you tell the truth and when you fess up to that lie, when you finally come clean and you tell all the truth, not just a bit of the truth maybe that you've been telling, when you finally put all that out there, it may be a little bit uncomfortable. It may be really uncomfortable. It may have some consequences. These things do have consequences. It may be hard, but it's going to be 10 times harder if you hold on to that lie for another five years. It's going to be 50 times harder if you hold on to that lie for another 10 years. The best thing you can do is allow the truth to set you free. And I want to encourage you, if there is a truth that you are hiding from someone, make that phone call this week. Sit down with that person and bring it out of the darkness. Bring it into the light. Even though it's going to be hard, the sense of relief you will feel will be incredible. Let's be people of truth in every area and at every level of our lives. And then the second area in which I think this applies is the area of commitment-making and commitment-keeping in our lives. There's a video going around uh, at the moment called Christian Ways of Saying No. And it's uh, this guy who talks about how when when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you also receive a whole lot of really handy ways to say no. Uh, because you can just spiritualize it. Okay, So here are some Christian ways of saying no when you want to get out of things, but you don't have the guts just to say no. I don't think it's God's will. I don't have a peace about it. That's a big one, isn't it? I just don't have a peace about this. Sounds so spiritual. Uh, God has a different assignment for me. I just didn't feel prompted. I'm just not feeling the Spirit's leading on this one. Or the classic, let me pray about it. It's the best way to get out of a commitment. Just let me pray about that. And you never come back to them. I think the point is that when we say no, if it's appropriate to say no, let's just say no. Rather than trying to baptize these little spiritual sayings and, and kind of weasel our way out of things, if it's appropriate to say no, then just lovingly, graciously say no. And equally, let's let our yes be yes. Right? We, for some reason in our culture, we are commitment phobic, aren't we? We struggle to really say a firm yes. It's because when those Facebook events come up, they always give you that option of being interested. Interested, you know? So it's not yes or no anymore. We're just interested. I'm not a yes person or a no. I'm an interested person. And so I'm going to keep my options open because rather than saying, yeah, I'll commit, I'll be there, we'd rather just see what else comes up, keep the options open, and then make a last-minute decision as to whether we're going to go or not. We need to be people who are willing to commit, willing to say, yeah, I I will be there. Yeah, I I will help you. I'll do that. I'll follow through. I'm going to make this commitment to actually put our feet down in in the concrete and say, I am going to say yes, and I'm going to mean yes. And then when you've made that commitment, follow through. When you make a commitment to your kids, follow through. You make a commitment to be there at a certain time, at a certain place follow through, be there at that time and that place. The Psalms talk about the person who fears the Lord as the one who keeps their oath even when it hurts. There's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? Because we make commitments sometimes, and when you're a couple of weeks out from doing this thing or helping that person or or whatever it may be, it seems fine, but then you get to the night before and it seems really, really hard. And you don't want to spend your time tomorrow doing this thing. Or, or catching up with that person you said you'd catch up with, or whatever it may be. But the person who fears the Lord is the person who keeps their oath or keeps their word even when it hurts. It takes sacrifice, doesn't it, to follow through on commitments. But if you have said yes to someone, be a person of your word. Follow through. Stick to that thing. Be there at that time, at that place. If there's something that you've said yes to, And it's been a long, long, long time, and you haven't done anything about it. You said you'd catch up with that person. You said you'd help that person out with that thing. You said you'd do this, and you haven't done it. Circle back. Decide this week. I'm going to circle back. I'm going to go back and revisit that and see if I can follow through on that. And if you can't, then let the person know. I know this happens. Sometimes there's reasons you can't follow through. That's fine, but just tell them. Let them know. Be a person of your word. Be the kind of person someone else knows. When you say yes, they can take you at your word. Your word is your bond. Your yes means yes, right? Just like your no means no. And this is true as well, isn't it, for church commitments? Just as true. I don't want to harp on, but sometimes it can be the case that how we, how we approach church commitments can be at a lower level than how we approach commitments in other areas of our lives we sometimes have a more casual relationship with church commitments than we do with other types of commitments but if you've committed to something in the context of the church if you've signed up for a serving team if you've said you'll do this or help with that serve in this area follow through with that follow through don't make it a maybe don't make it an interested don't make it a yes but I'm really going to keep my options open in my head say yes mean yes follow through it's part of being a person of truth it's part of being a person of your word and I think, you know, in this world of post-truth, in this world where, where there's just so much fake news, so much distortion of truth, I tend to think people are looking for truth. You know, we sort of think, oh, post-modern culture, no one cares about truth anymore. I think people are looking for it. I think people are so sick of the lies, so sick of, like, the fakeness, the phoniness that they find in the world. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if people could look at our church, people could look at that church, And say, that's the place that I can go to escape the lies in the world. That's the place. I'm so sick of the fakeness and the phoniness and everything so artificial and everything so shallow. And I see the church as this place of refuge where I can find truth. I'm not sure it's like that, but I pray that that's what it would be. I pray that's what the perception would be. And that's what the truth would be. That people can see us as a haven from the lies and a haven for the truth. And they know when they come here and when they interact with us, wherever that is, they will find us to be people of truth. People whose yes means yes and whose no means no. People of honesty. People of integrity. And that we might then point them towards the person of truth who is Jesus, right? The ultimate truth. The way, the truth, and the life. So let's be people of truth. People of our word. People whose yes means yes, and whose no means no. And we do this not to be good, moral Christians, not to be better behaved, but because we serve the God of all truth. There is not an ounce of dishonesty in his character. And he calls us to embody that same truthfulness in our lives. Let's take that seriously. Let's be people of truth for Christ's sake. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true, Lord God. That your promises are true. You're a God who has spoken truth over our lives, and we are saved because of that truth and because you are a God of your word. And we want to pray, Lord, just even now, as we take a moment here, that, Holy Spirit, you would bring to our minds and hearts now any ways in which we are shading the truth in our lives. And, God, we know that it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves, our own hearts deceive us. Our own hearts mislead us. And so we just want to come to you, God, and ask, is there anything in our lives, any areas in our lives where we are not being completely honest? We're not being completely truthful with someone, with ourselves, with you. God, are there any little ways? Are there ways, God, where we've told a bit of the truth and then we've felt like we can leave it at that? God, prompt our hearts now. Convict us by your Spirit, even though that might make us uncomfortable. Convict us by your Spirit. And I pray, God, that if you're bringing things to people's hearts and minds right now, that you would then give us the courage from your Spirit to take a step this week towards truth. Take a step away from lies. Take a step away from from dishonesty and step towards the truth. Lord, help us to have brave conversations with people this week. Help us to have brave conversations, Lord, where we can speak all of the truth, Lord. Not not just 90% of it, but all of it, Father. If there's something that needs to come out of the darkness, out of the darkness of our own hearts, Lord, bring it out. Bring it into the light. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have told us the truth will set us free. Lord Jesus, come and renew us. Come and restore us. Come and make us in your image, we pray. In Christ's name.